0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day.
1: Morning, friends. My name is Traveen. I'm an alcoholic. Firstly, I'd like to thank God for granting me yet another sober day. And I would like to thank the Committee 2015 for asking me to come through this morning and share my experience, strength and hope. Friends, a few years ago, every time I opened my eyes, I prayed to God to take me away from this miserable life that I was leading, the misery that I was causing my family, my friends and individuals around me. Friends. Now when I open my eyes every morning, and when my feet touch the ground, I run, I land running. Friends, that is all because of this Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and what i found in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Friends, I came from a background where I had to start work at a very young age while still in school in order to earn some funds to sustain my schooling career. And me, (coughs) other stuff what a uh, growing teenager would require. I had started work part-time for a gentleman who I had worked for after I finished school. I worked until late in the evenings. And as a result, I should fall off to sleep while working for this gentleman. He introduced me to alcohol and asked me to have a few one or two drinks in order to stay awake. And I tasted my alcohol for the first time. Friends, as time progressed, I matriculated. I began my career as a member of the South African police. Alcohol was not prevalent in my life. But I had gotten the taste, I had known the feeling... And it's something that had not gone forgotten. I started my career, I met my spouse, I settled down, and then came my dreams in life. All dreams that I knew would materialize if I just kept to my career path. Friends, I'm Hindu by faith, I prayed. Diligently. I did not drink on a Monday. I did not drink on a Tuesday because I fasted. I drank on a Wednesday because it was sports and recreation. I drank on a Friday because it was the end of the week, work week. And I also indulged on Saturdays. But Sundays I reframed as well from alcohol. But as time progressed, I conveniently forgot about the God of my understanding. And I began to drink every day. Friends, when I walked into the local tavern, I bought a bottle of brandy and two liters of Coke. And I called three other friends to share this with me. If I saw a person drink with water, I would judge this person and say that this person could not afford to buy dash. That is why he drank with water. When I saw a person shake and shiver, when he put the tumbler to his mouth and most of the contents of the tumbler fell over his shirt and he just managed to sip the last bit of it. I said to myself, I would never ever reach that stage. Never. Friends, I reached a stage where I had to be helped to hold a tumbler. I reached a stage where water was no longer the dash, I drank neat from the bottle. My family had come to the realization that I had gone overboard. So they asked and pleaded me to go into rehab. I accepted, but I wanted to go to rehab at my own conditions. I wanted an air-conditioned room in the rehab. I wanted weekend pass at the rehab. I wanted... Unlimited phone calls home. I was promised everything. When I walked into the rehab, the guy searched me and it got on my property and he left it aside. I looked at my wife in disgust. When the guy took me into the rooms, the doors shut. It was actually not doors. It was gates, like prison gates shutting behind you. I was petrified. When I walked into the room and he was showing me my, my room, I said, but where's the aircon? There's only a fan. He said, no, no, the other patient is using the air-conditioned room. As soon as he's gone out, then you can occupy the air-conditioned room. That building never saw an air-conditioner. When I came down to use the phone at the call box, they said, I'm sorry, you cannot use the phone. Only after eight days you can use the phone. I said, but that can't be possible because I'll be getting a weekend pass. That's what I was told. They said, you'll walk out from here 28 days later, my friend. At this... After disgust with my wife, I wrote a very, very strong letter and tried to get it to be sent to her. They said, there's no post. <laughs> Fortunately for me, and unfortunately, in that, your dirty linen could have, couldn't have been washed at the rehab. So your family had to come and pick up your dirty linen while you were there. I put this letter into my dirty linen. Unfortunately for me, my wife sent her brother to pick up my clothing. He took it to his house. Got it washed and kept there. And when he sent it to my house one week later. It was too late. I had already adapted to the rehab. I stayed there for 28 days friends. I stayed there for 28 days. And when I came out of the rehab. I had this desire to stay sober. And I thought I would stay sober. My friends and family thought I would stay sober. I went back to the place where I was drinking. I drank coke and I played pool and watched my friends consume. I had programmed myself that one day I will drink again. Less than two weeks, I started practicing again. If my family thought what I was doing before I went to rehab was bad, They were yet to see the destruction an alcoholic can cause. Friends, I brought utter misery to their lives. My friends on the outside didn't know that I walked around with half a jack in my pants. Even in my office. I'm a criminal investigator, friends. My job description details that I must do a lot of writing. I lost the ability to sign my own name. I began decomposing from the inside out because I drank straight from the bottle. I never looked for dash. Friends, I had conceded and I knew I had succumbed to the disease of alcoholism. I had come to the realization that I would depart this earth as a result of my alcoholism. I refrained from going to work. I stayed at home and remained drunk 24-7. The only time I didn't drink is when my eyes were closed when I was sleeping. And that was for about three or four hours. I was in a drunken stupor all the time. Friends, I was visited by my <clears throat> management from work and they said that if I do not turn up for work on Monday morning, they will hold a medical board against me and they will dis- dismiss me from the South African police. I convinced my wife that it was a good idea. Let them do that. That Sunday morning, I said to my wife, let me try and stay sober. Let me try and stay sober. I couldn't. She saw the violent reaction of my body. I shivered continuously. I knew I was not going to sleep that night and I did not sleep that night. Because there was no alcohol in my body. I got up the next morning diligently saying I want to go to work. Let me forget everything. When I walked into the bathroom and I began to brush, I started to throw up. I saw friends. My life flash past me. My friends that are here for the first time, or fairly new, this is not fear I'm trying to install. This is not a figment of my imagination. This is not a dream that I had and got up one day and it was all over. I lived through this disease of alcoholism. I came back into the lounge and said to my wife, please phone my office and tell him that I would not be coming to work. And please phone for an ambulance to take me away to a hospital. The only reason I said phone for an ambulance to take me away to a hospital is because my 16-year-old son was about to get up and get ready for school. And I didn't want him to see and remember how his father passed away. Because I immediately realized when I came out of that bathroom, today was a day I'll be departing the sun. And I prayed from the bottom of my heart and I said to God, I do not blame anybody for what has happened. What has happened I brought upon myself. And if he sees it fit to take me away, I don't have a problem because I was suffering. I was stretched into a hospital in Phoenix. The doctor told my wife. Only later for me to realize. Go home and pray. Because I told your husband on numerous occasions. When he came and slept in this hospital. To stop drinking. Or you will die. So go home and pray. That something happens. I remained in the hospital in a state of coma. For four days. I got up on the fourth day. Friends. My family was around me and I said, when I come out from here, I want to make an AA meeting. I walked out of hospital, I made my first AA meeting, the day I walked out of hospital. My family and friends couldn't understand why. I had heard about AA. I tried everything, friends, under the sun, everything, medication. I even tried a medication for my friend who said to me, take this medication you'll sleep. I took the medication and I started talking to my fingers. Only to realize that medication was for people who were suffering for a se- severe uh, mental disorder. But be that as it may. I walked into my first AA meeting in Riddlevale, Phoenix. Don't ask me what happened from that day on i never looked back i never looked back friends if i tell you i went to the extent of opening the dictionary and looking the exact meaning of the word medical how is a man who suffered from such severe alcoholism get up from a state of coma and asks to make an aa meeting makes an aa meeting And doesn't look back. With no medication. Friends when I was drinking. And practicing with alcohol. In my early stages. I had dreams in my life as I said. One of my dreams. Was to go to India. And perform a certain prayer. In the Hindu custom. It is. Customary for us. If possible. To go bathe in the river Ganges. That taught. I diminished when I had forgot, forgotten about spirituality when I was deep in my alcoholism. Friends, my transformation in Alcoholics Anonymous is unbelievable. I stayed sober and this year I made my customary, my trip to India and I bathed in the river Ganges. I made my meetings in India. I shared in India meetings. I explained, gave them my strength and hope. And I said to them, how a fellowship that doesn't give anybody any medication to take, only teaches us how to live sober, got principles, traditions, and ways of life to follow, and a human being can achieve the ultimate. The ultimate. That is what this fellowship, this organization, and these meetings are doing for me in my life. My life today is so prosperous. Words cannot explain. Words cannot explain. Friends, I'm saying this is not a figment of my imagination. Today, I live life as if there's no tomorrow. Because I know Tonight, I'm making an AA meeting. Tonight, I'm going to be meeting my fellow AA members. Friends, we only have 15 minutes to speak, but I want to pick my two hands up and thank every one of you for sharing your experience, strength and hope and giving me the courage to stay sober. Thank you.
2: Uh, I'm sorry, we have to start all over again. Um, good uh, good morning, friends. My name is, I'm an alcoholic and a grateful member of the fellowship. Um, yes, so good to see so many friends, old friends, and the kisses and their hearts and the love that I feel in these rooms. I've got mine written down because um I won't remember everything. So I'm just going to read from what I prepared. Is that, um, first of all, I hear a lot of people say step one is the only step we have to do perfectly. While I tend to take what I need and leave the rest when it comes to slogans. This one I hear a lot. And although I feel like I have I have had a meaningful step for step one experience. I'm not sure what this slogan means or can relate to it. I don't feel like step one is a static arrival point, a box to be checked off. The big book says we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This also seems to me to imply a state of completion with this step. Um, I'm wondering how many other experience, how many other people experience this step? How do you know if you have fully considered? Generally, my approach is not to overthink to the point where I allow that is, that it is, it is possible that I may someday drink again. Today, I don't want to drink, nor have I wanted for the past 2,920 days. But I see the strange mental twist came and go. And they do not surprise me when they come. I also do not act upon them. Uh, Why, I don't know. I just don't, and I don't worry about them when they come. It feels more like letting go than anything in particular that I do. I certainly don't remind myself of how bad it was. Better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And I would like to now ask Dan from St. Francis if he could please
0: speak to us. Thank you. Morning. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm alcoholic. And I'm from the St. Francis group of alcoholics anonymous. Okay, you know All somebody needs to live is a shirt on your back, something to eat, roof over your head, although that's negotiable, and somebody to blame. You see, at least that's all that I needed. You know, as long as I had someone to blame, then I could drink the way I drank. I'm not one of these fortunates that never, I did lose a job, I did crash the car, I did get locked up. All those things happened to me when I was drinking. I started drinking at a young age. I was about 10 years old. I remember distinctly buying a bottle of brandy and going and getting drunk. You know, and I loved booze and I loved everything about it. It became who I was. By the time I was about 19, I remember telling my mother, I really think I need to (laughs) to stop this drinking. You know, it's not not doing me any good. But I hadn't really realized that I had a – I knew it was a problem, but it – it wasn't sufficient enough for me to stop. You know, I drank like, like my man here. I also started working when I was in high school and that I used to work in nightclubs to, uh, to, uh, substitute my income or whatever because I didn't, uh, and, uh, the only reason I did it, like when you're the doorman, you know, everyone wants to be your friend. I just loved it because you could drink all night. You know, that that was the best thing about it. You know, I've often wondered you know why well, I've got this drinking problem is that people always say, you know, when you come into A it depends uh you know, it's the job that I do, that's why I drink like I do. Like the person said, you know, us traffic cops when we when we get together, yeah, we get drunk and the other locals say I I asked people from uh from when I started accountants there at, at uh at Ernest & Young, when we get together, fuck, you've never seen drinking like that before, you know? You know? That's all a load of crap. My first job I ever had, I was Father Christmas. I was 15 years old, I was Father Christmas at Dion's here in Weinberg. And me and the other Santa, we both got fired for drinking on the job. Now, so if there's a prevalence of Father... <laughs> so, doesn't matter what occupation you are, <laughs> if you're an alcoholic, it's going to find you. You know? I've, uh, you know, I, I, I always struggled with this thing, you know. I, 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 I can find a resentment in an empty room, you know, and, uh, and my biggest problem was the two people I had resentments against were both dead. So it didn't really help. I couldn't really, you know. So the only way I could act up against them was to drink, I suppose, you know. And drinking is what I did, you know. That's, that's, that's who Dan was, you know. Dan, it was, it was, it was everything to me. Like, if I was angry, I must drink. If I'm sad, I must drink. If I'm happy, I must drink. It was my solution. It was never my problem. Whatever, I didn't think. But other people would tell me it was my problem, but that was their thing. I was also, I'm allergic to alcohol. When I, when I drink it, I break out in handcuffs. And, uh, and the, you know, and life, was... Uh, it was always one thing after another. You know, they say you reach rock bottom. I, I, I've been hitting rock bottom since about the age of 16, 17. You know, things would happen, but I just never accepted that they were a problem. Like, I only realized when I came into AA that I used to be a hobo. I used to live in the God Tower in the Durban beachfront. You know what I mean? For intents and purposes, I was a hobo. I didn't have a, a, a home. But I never thought of it like that because I was having a draw in my mind, you know. And... uh that was always the things that always just to happened to me. I just would just go from one one bit of crap to the next bit of crap, and then I'd claw my way out of it, only to fall back down. I was also a terrible drinker. I suffered from uh, from blackouts, and I used to do heinous things. Most of the stuff, some of the stuff that I've done, most people, if if it had to happen to them, they would they would they would, if they were if they weren't insane like me, they would have stopped drinking immediately. I remember, recall one time I did a geographical. I went to Cape Town to try and avoid the crap that I've got into. And I didn't have a job or anything. And my mates said, okay, Dan, here's 20 rand. Go downstairs, the pub downstairs, you can get this out. I've been sober for a while. You can get two drafts and a, and lunch. It's, a, it's like a pensioner special. Said, okay, that sounds grand. And I went downstairs. Or the pensioner special. The last thing I recall, I remember it was just after the first Gulf War. And I said, they should have gone in there and killed Saddam Hussein and this other old veteran that was sitting there he said to me you know Sonny you look like Saddam Hussein and uh, that was the last thing I recall the next morning I woke up I was lying in my flat in a pool of blood this tooth was missing and I had no skin on my knuckles and I had two and a half thousand rand in my pocket to this day I still don't know what occurred most people would shit themselves and they would think that they must go and either run to the church or go and confess to to the police or whatever not me I said toothless, toothless, early. yeah, I've got two and a half grand, let's go to the pub, you know. That, that that was the kind of thing that I did, you know. I always just lived for now, you know. That was it, as long as I could get drunk and there was a reason to get drunk. I mean, uh, the, the opening of an envelope was an excuse to get drunk, you know. <laughs> Everything was an occasion for drinking. And I just carried on that way. While I was working, Where well, I crossed the line in my drinking, and this I got resentment to the one that was dead, uh, I was in a bar fight and unfortunately the other fella didn't make it. Okay. And instead of trying to see w- what I should do and sort out myself in my, in the legal situation that I'm in, I decided to blame this fella for everything and I blamed him for about 20 years of my life. And I think oh, if I hadn't been in that crap, if that dipshit hadn't tried to fight with me in the club and all this sort of thing, and nothing of this would have happened. Meanwhile, they were all just excuses and blaming. And, uh, but there I thought my, I was 21 years old and I thought my life was over. And I, and I really took to drinking in a, in a proper way. You know what I mean? There was a, I, I took no prisoners. I was drinking like a, like a, like a machine. And, uh, eventually my, my legal w- w- worries were over. And I went over, uh, and I decided I'll go overseas and I'll get a clean start. Well, that didn't work. You know, I went overseas. And I was supposed to, uh, I was going to go and travel the whole of Europe and everything. The only thing I saw was Big Ben, and the only thing why well, I saw that was because I got a job w- repairing the, the, the building. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen that either. I've got a pub on every corner. You don't have to go far. You know, <clears throat> and uh, my life, I, I stopped actually, for about the last 10 years of my drinking, I actually stopped even enjoying it. I was just doing it because it was who I was. You know, and I always used to think there should be something there's, there's gotta be more to this than, than what it is. And I remember I came back to South Africa and I used to say it was the only good thing I ever got out of drinking. I met my wife, but now we're getting divorced. I've met, uh, I've had no good things come out of drinking. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> needless to say, <coughs> I just, uh, I was on my, my last bender. I went for about five days. I didn't sleep. I didn't change my clothes. I didn't do anything. I just drank. And I used to get assistance from other substances to, so I could just stay awake so I could carry on drinking. Okay. And I remember I was supposed to fetch my, my wife from the, from the airport. She was overseas doing business. And I had a big party in my house and, uh, she came walking in the door. I'd completely forgotten to fetch her. And she just looked at me like I was a piece of crap. You know, and I, and to be honest, I, I felt like a piece of crap, but I did the same old ritual. I went to bed. Try to force myself to dream, to dream about something, something nice. You know what I mean? But it just keeps coming back to you. How much crap am I in? Uh, and then, <laughs> I did this in the morning. I woke up early and I went to the gymnasium. I thought I'll have a workout and a bit of a steam bath. I'll feel a bit better. And I'll go buy some flowers on the way back and everything will be sorted. When I walked into the gym, there was a silence. Everyone was like looking at me and I thought, oh, fuck, What have I done this weekend? And they all, everybody was staring at me. And I thought, oh, because the people knew me there. And, uh, one more friend said, Dan, look in the mirror. And I looked in the mirror and I realized why I felt the way I felt. Because there's a Chinese oak on the other side of the mirror. And it don't take a genius to work out if you, if it's turned yellow that you, that your liver's just about to pack in. So I remember I sat the whole day. I was working in a basement in the Rosebank Fire Station. And I was thinking, today I'm I really I felt like I was going to die. I'd never had anything like a hangover or anything. I, I, I couldn't even stand up straight or anything like that. I needed to do something. I remember from reading the classified newspapers, but for other reasons, that uh, they used to have an advert. Therefore, for, for AA, and I thought I'll give these arcs a try. And then I looked. There was only for Al-Anon. And I phoned that Luckily, and they say we get blessed with a gift of desperation. And luckily, I phoned Al-Anon. They gave me a number, and I phoned about three different people. Eventually, I got hold of the office. And they said, some guy's going to phone you, and he's going to help you with this. What's your problem? I said, yeah, you've, got to, you've really got to help me. Because I still remember back in the day, I tried to go to rehab. And I phoned up, and I thought they'd send a, an ambulance for me. And they told me, no, no, you come in next Tuesday. We'll have an intake they are not sending an ambulance. I said, no. I remember sitting the next day, sitting in the pub thinking, thank fuck they didn't send the ambulance because I would have been in the rehab with those losers and I could be here in the pub, I wouldn't be here drinking. So anyway, this guy eventually phoned me up and he said, come. So it was a Monday. He said, I don't want, I don't really like, uh, Monday meetings. You know what I mean? They, they, they got three speakers there. It's too long for me, but come tomorrow night. We'll take you to Rosebank. I said, hey, mate, you don't understand the magnitude of the situation. Tell me where this meeting is and I'll find out where it is and I'll go myself. And he told me that it happened to be just around the corner from my house, St. Francis. And I went to my first meeting, and I sat around, and I looked at the people. and I still used to smoke back then, and I was smoking and looking, I came or th- thinking. Meanwhile, another guy said, I looked actually green, but uh, i looking at these people. And everybody was just a tad too joyous for my liking. You know what I mean? Everyone was hugging and doing all this kind of thing and shaking each other's hands and happy to see each other. I thought, oh, it'll only be five minutes, they're going to start asking for money. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know, this probably isn't for me. Best thing I should do is a bar just down the road. I smell like a hobo. I'll go there, I'll have a few drinks, and I'll feel much better then. And then I'll go home and I'll tell my wife that, you know, it's just a bunch of happy clappers. You know, it's not, it's not for me. But, uh, and she won't smell any of the booze on me anyway, because I smelt like a hobo. But as I was about to leave, this guy came, Dion, and I'll be internally grateful to him, and he started speaking to me, and I said, well, this house seems pretty normal. Man. Like a normal person. And he said, come sit inside. to see what it's about. And as I was walking in, and then, the like other said to me, you know what? You need to keep coming back, or I'm gonna hunt you down and kill you. I'm like, this old man, I thought, Jesus, mate, I can put you right out of your misery, right where you're standing. But anyway, That's for another day. When I'm feeling a bit better, I'll come back and sort you out. And I sat down in the meeting and while I was sitting there, this guy came walking past and he had a spring in his step and everything. And I looked at this user and I knew him because we used to end up in Hillbrow. He had a problem smoking, other funny stuff. And that we used to go on benders. He was actually bad. I used to even run away from him. I was scared of that. And he came walking in and he looked 20 years younger, been on that extreme makeover program. (laughs) And I said, and he said to me, uh, I said, Pat, what's the he said, Yeah, I've been sober for the last seven years. I said, Oh, we thought you were dead because we hadn't seen him in the pub. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, he was. And he said, sit down and check what you gotta do. And I and I sat in the meeting and they said, Yeah, I must identify, I mustn't compare. And the one bird I remember she got drunk at Emmerinha Dam, I remember I did that and that sort of thing. I I was kinda just all a bit hazy. And I still remember I thought the chairman was like some kind of guru because he was a foreigner. I thought, you know, we're so fucked up here, we gotta, we, we, gotta get a foreign oak to come show us what to do. I don't know that any, <laughs> any fool can be the chairman. But, but anyway, I thought he was like the head of the whole of AA. I sat down, and then my man said to me, the patty said to me, let's go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I managed to do 78. And I found something, me in my life, I've never wanted to belong to anything. I remember when I was working nightclubs, they wanted to get me to join a motorcycle gang. I said, you know, if I all wanted to put on the same jacket as, as the other oaks, I'll go back to the army. You know what I mean? Well, there's no point in that. You know what I mean? I'll go back to school. We can all wear the same blazer. So like, crap. I, I always wanted to fit out. I didn't want it to fit in. Well, maybe it was because I didn't fit in that I wanted to fit out so much, if you understand the logic in that. But, um, needless to say, I did my seven. I, I tried to do my 90. I got, I uh, saw my man, Pat, was washing the dishes. I said, let me help you. The next week, I was washing the dishes by myself. And I did that. And they told me that service, you carry, carry on doing that kind of stuff. And I found jobs in other meetings that would force me to go to the meetings. And I just loved this place. I I, I, I it was the first place that I actually wanted to belong. You know, and I, and I started to learn things. And then I realized that the, I thought these people were all geniuses here. And then I realized they're just talking common sense. Because we've, me for so many years, I've been clouded by drinking. And by poor judgment. And anyway, I found a higher power. And, but I still wanted proof. And the, the proof of the, of the higher power was, uh, and i was sitting there, I'm a welder by trade, I'm sitting in the darkness. And it suddenly became as clear as day to me. I am the proof. You know what I mean? Because all intents and purposes, I should be dead. And there was no higher power. Something looking after me, I would be dead. It sounds a bit, like I'm a bit egotistical, but that I'm here today is proof that there's a higher power. And you know, and and every day since in 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 AA is a, it's like a it's like a blessing. You know, we have bad days, we have good days. Life life deals me problems. I've had a really tough month, but I get back up, and things and things work out. You know, it used to be. I used to have an anthem. You know, Chumbawamba sang it. Danny Boy, pissing the night away, pissing his life away. That's what I used to be. I used to gets knocked down, he gets up again. He drinks a whiskey drink, he drinks a lager drink. But now I just go to a meeting, and my life is fine. You know, and I speak to fellow AA people, and everything works out just grand. You know, I've I I accept 100% that I'm an alcoholic. You know, I know it. I know for me to drink is to die. And I'll and it won't be a pleasant way to die, you know. And uh, okay, I've overstepped my 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 boundaries. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Now I'd
2: like to ask Sundal to come and speak to us. Thank you, Hi,
3: Thanks. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Sundal. Hi, everybody. For the grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've not had a drink since the 11th of November, 1998, and for that I'm grateful. I'd like to thank... I thank the convention committee, um, Josie, to for giving me this opportunity to share with you today. Um, and, uh, you know, based on the topic, you know, I had to fully concede I think to to explain to you uh, my understanding of fully conceding, I first have to tell you why I needed to concede. And that can be a very easy story to tell, because when I look at my life and I look at the wreck that I was, it's easy to understand why this man needed to fully concede, because uh, of where I had got. But it's not an easy thing to concede, because again, we're talking about a disease of denial here. And lastly, if I can, I have to tell you about how, I had how I did this year, and also how it's working in my life now. Uh, you know, I, I I come from the ghettos of Chatsworth. Any Chatsworth people here? Yeah. Yay, of course. You know, the best people come by busloads here. <laughs> you know, um, I was I was raised in the ghettos of Chatsworth, and I was raised very very poor, and I had alcohol all around me. These Chatsworth people can drink, eh? and uh, my father was an exception any exception to the rule. And he drank, and he, he gambled, and uh, they abused their women, and they were really pigs. And I saw all this happening in front of me, and me, I knew I didn't want to do this. But, you know, somewhere along the line, um, I met up with people that uh put a bit of peer pressure on me. I was 16 years old. I was hanging out with a few girls and, and, and the mother, and then they... uh They used to all drink, and the one girl had a boyfriend who used to drink every day and used to insist I have a drink. And I never wanted to, you know. And then this one fateful morning, uh, there was so much pressure, I decided to have a drink. And, you know, I had my face, my first cane and water. And uh, when I put this to my lips and I started drinking this thing, you know, uh, it wanted to kick back. And then all the girls were looking at me. But then I had a lot of experience as well because I saw how my father and my uncle did it, you know. When they picked up the glass to their lips, they took it all the way back and they never stopped. And uh, I watched this so many times, so there was no need for like too much of practice and I knocked this thing back. And after I knocked this drink drink back, you know, uh, um, uh, something started to happen to me, you know. I, I started feeling a tingling feeling in my face. And then I could like feel the blood running in my fingers. And then I could feel like the blood rushing to my feet. And then all of a sudden I started growing. And I, I grew and I grew and I grew. And I became six feet tall. And I became this macho man. And you know these four girls that lived in this house, there were lots of things I wanted to tell them. And I couldn't tell them, you know, before. Because I was shy. And this thing started helping me to tell them what I'd like to do to them and what nice things I could do. And, you know, this was my first drink, and and it started doing wonders for me. And I knew that this is the thing I needed in life, because this thing took a 16-year-old and made me a big six-foot man. And, you know, I used to see them dancing, and I used to be scared. And, man, you give me this magic thing that this guy drank cane and water, and I had the moves. I had the moves. I was John Travolta. I could do my thing, you know. And this is what started happening to me. But you know that was a stage where you drank and 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 you kind of had a lot of fun, and you know I'd I, I'd look forward to this drink um, on every you know every Saturday morning I'd look forward to being there in the morning and having this drink, and it wasn't long after that you know I'd, I'd 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 go there and I'd start drinking at ten o'clock in the morning, and then I'm getting up on the bed at like four o'clock in the afternoon, and when I get up there's these girls sitting on the bed and they're giggling and they're talking about me. And I'd get up and I'd rub my eyes and I'd enjoy this, 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 this attention that I'm getting and they'll tell me, Sandal, but you're such a lunatic when you drink, eh? You know, you had your underpants on and you went next door and you wanted to kiss that man's woman. And then you want to run on the road with your aunt, you know, and I've been doing these things and most of which I can't remember. But I was getting the attention and I started loving this alcohol. But you see, hindsight is also a beautiful thing, especially when you're an Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you see, today I don't have to work out when did I cross that invisible line between heavy drinking and alcoholism. Friends, I was 16 years old. I started drinking at 10 in the morning and I passed out and I couldn't remember what happened. And Sandal knows that he's an alcoholic from the first day he picked up a drink because that was the pattern for the rest of my life. That was the pattern. No matter how hard I tried, no matter what the occasion was, I knew that when I started drinking, I'd only stop when the alcohol was finished or I had passed out. And also, I knew something else. It made me intelligent, very intelligent. You know, when I when I started drinking, if you spoke about motor cars, I was a motor mechanic. I knew everything about it. If you're a carpenter, I knew about that too. Insurance, I know about that too. I met a nuclear physicist and taught him a few things too. (laughs) <laughs> this is alcoholism and sundal, you know. I knew everything about everything. I knew everything about everything when I picked up a drink. And this is where alcohol took me. And then, you know, I got married at some point and I started drinking, and then the wife used to complain, you know. And I'd get up on a Saturday morning and I'd go down to wash the garage, the car in the garage, and I'd stay downstairs and I'd come 11 o'clock, come up 11 o'clock drunk as a Lord. Drunk as drunk as the Lord. And, you know, uh, We'd be going somewhere, and just as we all get into the car, I'll say, "Oh damn, I left my asthma pump at home." And you know, in the house, and I'd get out of the car, and I'd go to the toilet, and I'll open the cistern, and I'll pull out the half a bottle that I had stashed there, and I'll open that, and I'll take a lekker swig out of that. I'll put the cap on, I'll put the bottle back in the cistern, I'll put the lid back, and I'll you know do the wiping off the mouth, and then I go and sit in the car, and I kind of hold my breath, you know, for it not to smell too much. And these are the kind of things I started doing, you know, and then, you know, she used to dump my alcohol. So what I used to do is I used to buy a bottle and hide it in in, in a wardrobe where I'd leave the door open and I used to hide the other one in her wardrobe because she'd never look for it there, you see, and I used to drink out of that. And where I left the door open, she'd see, ah, bar stool, door open, look, alcohol. She'll take the bottle and she'll empty it out, you know. And, you know, people started telling me things like, Sandal, you're such a liquor oak, man. But it's just when you go overboard, man. Why do you drink like that? And I told them the problem. I said, you know, if you had a wife like I got, you'll drink the way I drank. You see, I had a wife that was a problem. But this is the life I was leading. But friends, you know, that stage of life is where I was drinking and I thought I had a lot of fun. Because in the beginning I drank... And I knew I was having fun. And I got to stage two where I drank and I thought I had a lot of fun. I drank where, you know, I'd go out on a Saturday night. A guy, Two of us would go out with three girls. And then the next morning, the mates phone and say, Hey, how did it go? How were the chicks? I'd say, Hey, what a lack of time, man. We were at the jaw. We were dopping and dopping and dopping. Eleven o'clock, I passed out, man. I don't know how I got home. But what a lack of time, huh? Two guys, three chicks, I passed out. You see, and I spent a lot of time doing that. Drinking and thinking I'm having fun. You see, but then, 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 then I reached a stage where I had to concede. Because you see, I reached a stage where I drank and I knew I wasn't having fun. I drank every day. This is a progressive disease. I drank every day, and I love the paradoxes in every day, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the paradoxes, and the one I love the most is where I can say, I drank every day, every morning. I had to have a drink to live, and it was killing me. Because that is where I got towards the end. I got to the end where I'd have my last meal on a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. And then I'd get home, and I'd start drinking Romanov vodka And I used to use autumn harvest crackling as my mix. And I'd drink that the whole weekend without anything to eat. And when people used to talk about the wine, I used to tell them as well, I loved my wine as long as it was in my vodka. And that is who I became. And I drink like that from Friday afternoon and my next meal would be on Monday. And you know, when I'd go to work on Monday morning, I used to go to work and I used to go with a little clover orange juice and I used to have a straw in it and I used to place it on my desk and I used to sit over and I used to sip that orange juice because I didn't have the capability or wasn't capable of walking to the kitchen and holding a cup and saucer with a cup of coffee because of the shakes I had. This is where I, I, had, I had ended up. I reached a stage in my life where I was in one of two states. I was either drunk or thinking of a drink because that's all I could do. I reached a stage where I had no other interests in life. Nothing mattered anymore. Soccer World Cup, cricket World Cup, boxing, nothing mattered. I reached a stage where I'm a man that ran Comrades Marathon 86, 87, 88. There's another one here, Bill, Ben, you know, and we ran Comrades and we did stuff, but nothing mattered anymore because all I did was I vegetated. And this is where I got. And when I was in this stage, I knew I had a problem. I knew that I didn't have a way out. I knew that I had to die like this because that is what I believed you know and 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 and, and I also became very, very lonely and I reached a stage where I had owed money, I had moved homes, I had no way to go, I had no way to run. I had no way out. I was divorced, I had not seen my kids in three years now. And I had to do something, and I went to live at my mom. I went to live with my mom at the age of thirty-nine because I had no way to go. The cops were looking for me because of unpaid rent, and I moved into my mom's house. And my little brother, that's visiting me now from Durban, he was there, and he looked at he looked at me there, and 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 and, and he said, "Ma, ma, this thing here, this thing can stay here as long as as long as it doesn't drink." And that's who I became. I became inanimate. This thing can stay here as long as it doesn't drink. Because that's who I was. This thing here, when they phoned him to say they're having a brah and he said he's not coming, everybody breathed a sigh of relief. Because this is who I had become. And I stayed there. And I stayed there for a whole month. Because you see, I had my back to the wall. And I stayed there a whole month. And after a month, I went on a four-day binge. And when I went back to work, they, they put me into disciplinary. And then policeman number two comes in, my middle brother. And he says, Ma, I am so sick and tired of this thing. I'm taking this thing to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm not listening to his stories. I'm taking him. Because, you see, I'd been to a rehab by this point. And and, 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 and they told me to go to AA meetings. And they left me the car to go to AA meetings. And they asked me if I went to the meeting. And I said, Yes but i used to go to the meetings and i used to sit outside outside the car park and i used to drink but i went to the meeting so you know i wasn't telling a lie and this is what i was doing you see and this is this is this is a stage i had uh, i had reached where now i had seen my kids you know for 3 years and then by the time i did my fifth meeting i knew i knew i had met a bunch of people they were like me and they understood me. Because you see, people outside don't understand me. They never understood me and they never understood why I drank. In fact, people today don't even understand me. Because people would say, subtle, you in AA for so long, you haven't had a drink in so long. Have a drink, man. One won't kill you. You see, one will kill me. They don't understand me today either and they never understood me then. And this is who I am, you know. And you know, I joined this fellowship of AA and I knew I was in the right place and I started making meetings. And these Chatsworth people, I promise you, Alcoholics Anonymous members, they held me by the hand and they walked me through this program of recovery. And this program has worked for me. And they took me through the steps. And in Chatsworth, you know, they, 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 they don't say it is suggested. They tell you what to do. <laughs> Suggestions for people that want to be politically correct, you know, it is suggested in the big book. And they say in Chatsworth, he'll sponsor you. You'll pick him and him up for a meeting. That's where the step meeting is. Go. They didn't say it is suggested you go. I advise you go. You go and you did what you were told to do. And that's the AA I grew up with. You know, and, and, and this program has changed my life. And I need to very briefly uh, uh, tell you, I need to briefly tell you, you know, uh, how this program works for me. You know, last week, uh, my son celebrated his birthday a little bit early. Uh, you know, I, uh, my son is now going to be six years uh, old coming coming up in a week two weeks time but we celebrated early, and i had to go shopping and you know when i went shopping i came back with these huge bags and i came back with the stuff and i showed my wife look at the gifts i bought she says sandal but that's for a gift you only got eight children coming why you bought 20 why do you shop like a bloody alcoholic You know, she walked into my office and she saw this big box of dentine strawberries on my desk. Because I like dentine strawberries. She says, but why do you have to buy dentine like an alcoholic? You see, when I've joined Alcoholics Anonymous today, I realized that putting the cork in the bottle wasn't just the, the solution. There is so much more in my life that needs help. I never walk into the store and buy one bubbly chocolate. you got to buy four. What's wrong with you? Because I am an alcoholic. But this program of recovery helps me to concede to my innermost self that I have problems and I can work it and I can overcome this. As long as I stay with you and I remind myself that you're an alcoholic, and if you're an Alcoholics Anonymous, they will hold your hand and they'll take you through. Thank you for letting me share.